even though I don't think I'm going to have a beer, I literally Hoover vacuum all the stuff as much as I possibly can the minute I start. All right, so you're, um, you're on your, you're on your, work, huh? you got five people working? On five or six, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How'd you, um, how'd you get this? Like, how did it, how'd that come about? Um, well, so I told, so, I, well, for 25 years, I ran every skateboard event in Washington, like, aside from a few that I missed involuntarily. Uh, but then I retired from, during the pandemic, but I told Tony, at 35th North, who's one of my closest friends, I said, if you have any events, like I'll still do a, I'll still do one or two for you. And when he said that we're gonna do a half pipe at the Mariner game, and my dad being a lifelong Mariner fan, I was like, I gotta do it just so I can get the jersey and the and the board for my dad. I have to. My dad has to see his kid skating at the Mariner game. Come on, man. I'll what, do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever. <laughs> that's incredible, yeah. man. Well, I mean, that story needs to be told on wax. And uh, so, hey, Marshall, my name is Pete. This is Rudy. We are part of Sober Champs Podcast. And um, well, how you doing today, Marshall? Welcome, man. Welcome to episode something. I don't even know. What do you think we're on? Like Maybe nine, eight or nine? Nine or mm-hmm. something. Yep. Uh, man, uh, we've uh, been waiting to get you on here. We've, we've talked about you since the uh, inception of this podcast to try to get you on the microphone to see you know, if you'd even be interested. And uh, I remember uh, running into you at, at the Magnolia meeting and just just checking your curiosity. And I mean, dude, you were you were excited for it. And uh, I don't know, man, sometimes um, we've had we've had a little bit of ups and downs on feelings of how this is working and what this podcast is really doing. And and uh, but when I ran into you that night, there was just this confirmation of like, okay, it may not be like, I mean, you didn't have anything negative to say about it. And so the exciting part too was that you were just willing to participate. And so uh, we're so glad that you came and so you're spending your time here today. I know uh, time is, is very valuable. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you and uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, so. Yeah, welcome, Marshall. We're happy to have you here. Um, it's kind of cool. We were just talking. We have a family connection, and we have some fr- other friends in common just outside of recovery circles, and I just uh, known you for a while. I, you probably don't remember the, the very first time I met you. It was uh, it was actually at Imperial Lanes at the old bowling alley, and um, I remember I was bowling there with some of our friends, but you were with a different group, and you were sober, you oh, know, yeah. at the time, and, and I was not. And I remember you came over and people were telling me like, yeah, Marshall, he doesn't drink and stuff like that. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, I was like, it didn't even comprehend in my mind, like what that even meant. Like, I thought maybe that meant like you never drank ever or something. It just, it didn't even comprehend in my mind that this was somebody that used to drink and then doesn't drink anymore. And you guys are over on another lane getting pictures of Pepsi and like just kind of like kicking it when you guys were having a good time but it was just it was really interesting and, and ever since then I just was always kind of fascinated by you and like and because the whole time I've known you you've been sober the, the entire time so that, that's pretty cool for me yeah the, the first time so my assignment was this uh Seth had told me to go to a meeting and find Marshall I had never seen you heard you know I didn't know of you and he was like all right he was trying to test my willingness. 
So I go down to this meeting and I, I can't find you. You weren't there that night. So then the first time we meet was when there was a certain like hall closing on, it was Union Street, I think. Uh, it was it was like the the last meeting they were having at this meeting. It was right behind Uncle Ike's. Do you remember this? Like it was like oh, house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the, this house. And uh, man, dude, the excitement you had for life. And like I was just like, man, okay. Like I don't know. It was this proud. You were proud to be there and i just hadn't ran into that really and so when i met you i was like man i i really like i want to follow this guy around like what, <laughs> what is it what does he do <laughs> and so man we finally got you here to like kind of tell us like what do you do and what have you done um so man we usually start off with a sober date man do you have a sober date yeah april 3rd 2011 april 3rd 2011 okay all right and i think i was at I used to go bowling on those Wednesdays yep. up until April 3rd, 2011. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I actually remember that time I was there sober bowling. And mm -hmm. it, yeah, man, sober bowling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, so the interesting thing about us is that we got sober and then COVID hit. So like that entertainment and the socialization and the fellowship outside of a meeting it was kind of hard to find for a while and so we've all it's something that we've craved um all right so man you got sober what uh to take us through a little bit of like man like maybe what what your first drink was like what your first drug if you remember or um yeah what what age you were or take us through some some sort of story well um I remember like drinking and smoking weed before I remember anything. And I remember parties before I remember anything. Um, I was just raised in it, uh, in the art galleries and music venues in Pioneer Square from like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Um, but I don't think I drank alcoholically till I was about 10. Okay. And, um, but yeah, I don't really remember anything other than parties and people getting loaded. But the first time I actually remember finding joy was also here in Pioneer Square when I started skateboarding. And that was at 10 years old. So skateboarding was the first joy at 10 years old. Right around the same time, getting drunk was also pretty awesome. Getting stoned was something that I'd always get, turn into a zombie. Be like, I wish I didn't get stoned. But every opportunity I got to get stoned, I got stoned. Right. You know, you you know what that's like. Yeah, that shit's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> like you're like, fuck, man. I'm like moving off slow. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> next time we're I'm not doing this. I move to and then next yeah. I you're feel doing. you. I smoke so much weed for somebody that doesn't really like weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. your story. You were like, oh, I didn't really like it, but I smoked it there all the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -oh. So uh, you're a Seattleite, huh? Yeah. I mean, we have three Seattleites at the table. Hey, Manny, where are you from, man? What's going on, man? Oh, we got four nice. Seattleites that's in the building, rare. man. Yeah, that's, hey, that's, a, that's a hard thing to come by. Um, yeah, so so being a Seattleite uh, <clears throat> and being raised in that environment, did, was it a pretty functional environment at home? Or, like, do you have brothers, sisters? What, what kind of stuff did you have going on when you were a kid? Well, let's just say I never ate at a dinner table until I was, like, 30. Um, <laughs> okay, let's go. My parents had me when they were 19. Um, 
and it wasn't like and they were divorced by the time they were like 24 and i don't think that like my mom wasn't trying to have dinner at the dinner table but w she'd make dinner and we'd eat it on the couch and my dad was like uh they he's one of the top 100 most influential seattleites or something like that so he was busy 24 7 he had the art galleries and the music venues and the band management and so i just kind of was just running behind him the whole entire time yeah. um so my upbringing was different yeah Did, so yeah let's tap into that skateboarding at 10 uh well how'd you how'd you get introduced to the skateboard itself do you remember that moment that you were like yo this is this is what i'm gonna do uh well this band, Agent Orange, which is a, a skate punk band, they were playing at the Metropolis down here in um, Pioneer Square, and they were loading out the band the next day. And my cousin and I, they had their skateboards there, and my cousin and I were kneeboarding around, and then we managed to stand on the boards and roll down the back of the stage um, when we were 10. And then my dad was already skateboarding with his friends, and so I instantly just got a skateboard and started skateboarding. Wow. Was that it? Was it was skateboarding kind of a new like how um, how new was skateboarding? Was skateboarding something that had been going on around here for a long time, or was it were you kind of a new kind of breed of individual in the in the Seattle area, or was that something that had been going on for a while? Well, that was '83, so skateboarding had a, a little boom in the late '70s, um, from '83 to. 85 it wasn't really popping but then we all know that tony hawk era from like 86 87 88 88 it was huge um and so it, I, I was 10 everybody else was 15 to 25 so i was just like the youngest kid yeah. running around with adults doing adult things um but what was crazy is no i was invisible and skateboarding wasn't hot and I would smoke pot with the adults and get drunk when I could. Um, but I remember in 1988, the, the school, I, uh, I graduated from Garfield, but my mom lived in Everett, so I, would, I went to elementary in Everett. And I remember one day the, the preppies and the jocks invited me to their table because uh, skateboarding became cool all of a sudden. Like Police Academy came out and they had skateboarding in it. And then I started getting to go to the jock prep parties. Yeah, so then would it with that invite, the you, you was there a big change in your personality and your behavior at that point? Yeah, I thought I was cool. Yeah, yeah. so I went from like maybe not even knowing what feeling cool felt like to being like, ooh, I'm I'm cool. Yeah, I'm the cool kid now. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah, I never skated, but like I hung out with a lot of skateboarders that are friends of ours and stuff like that. Like skateboarders 3d artists and stuff like that but i didn't i didn't do either of those but i was like i just wanted to kick it with them because like they were having the most fun and it was just it was always a party and stuff like that but like my dad told me this story that you might have i don't know like he so basically he had a art gallery one time and uh he had a show in a gallery and there was a there was a punk show at the at his show and this this might have been your dad who put this on or something. And uh, he said it was here in Pioneer Square and outside because our dads are friends. Yeah. And uh, outside there was a there was a punk show inside, but then outside there was a skateboard like kind of like 
uh, show and yeah. they had lit like a, a big bonfire yeah. and they were like skating like over this bonfire and it was he said it was just like the wildest thing and it was just it was like a punk you know rock kind of thing and uh but that was like before my time like I never really experienced that whole like kind of punk scene and stuff like that but I am born and raised in Seattle but like and I've been around a lot of skateboarders and stuff like that and, and got loaded with a with a lot of skaters yeah, that was the JFA Youth Brigade show, and it was a riot, and okay. it was like in the Thrasher magazine, and oh, uh, it was all time. And I was I was twelve and definitely drunk. Okay. Um, but not out of hand drunk. Just I I used to have this trick, where I I don't even think I drank water till I was forty. But when I was a little kid, everybody had a beer in their hand, and I'd walk around and go, "I'm so thirsty. There's nothing to drink here. Can I have a sip of your beer?" And if you get 20 adults to give you a sip of their beer, they're just giving a kid a sip of their beer, then you mm -hmm. can get drunk. Right. That's pretty um, But that 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 was a legendary time oh, okay. in the history of Seattle, the okay. JFA Youth Brigade. Yeah, yeah. okay. The so club got do. shut down. My dad got arrested. Mm. Oh, shit. Um, it was like headline news. But then the bands played the next day at uh, Ground Zero, a little club around the corner. Okay. So everybody got their money's worth. They're $3.00 three dollar ticket to the show or whatever oh that's dope yeah. so okay. so, were, so were you off the porch pretty early like you sounds like you're out late at night just, yeah i was know. feral yeah yeah so when did it when did you uh start drinking and, and doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that on like and maybe seeing some consequences like some things that you it wasn't as fun anymore by like well, I got arrested in my underwear when I was 14 for stealing liquor out of some girl's cabinet down the street. And then I remember being so pissed that they snitched. But that was that didn't really count. But by 19, I got arrested for just being a jackass. And uh, so I would say by 19, 20, I started like getting into trouble and thinking like it's those people or it's that booze or it's tequila or... You know, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that's never drank too much. I've never drank enough, but I've gotten out of hand many, many times. You know, it's it's a weird thing. Like, I just never could drink enough. You know, like the guy who's scared that there's not going to be enough booze. That started by, like, 20. And so when you got arrested, that... uh. So how did skateboarding and being drunk work or like high and like, you know, I've understood that you're, you're pretty good. Right. And so then with using how was your mentality of athleticism at that point? Like, did you think that you were better loaded? No, it was. So I did all right. And um, I got the trophies and I would do the contest circuits and stuff like that. But then the party started getting more exciting than the contest and like literally by like 90 91 no by 91 i would only care about traveling up down the west coast so i could do the party that people were hyped to see me because i could party so that's the thing like if you can party with skateboarders mm -hmm. we love you yeah. i don't care if you don't skate yeah. if you can drink yeah. we're in if you brought some some extra stuff we're even more in what they call extracurricular stuff <laughs> we're in yeah. but, was, see i'm a non-skater myself but that was what i noticed it's yeah. like we could get together on some other shit yeah. that was not skating yeah yeah that's dope um all right so 19 man take uh, a couple consequences like what what uh 
take us through a couple of stories after like or 19 i mean i'm interested kind of in that 14 year old one where you like got arrested in your underwear for stealing alcohol how do you get arrested what they came to my house at like 11 o'clock on a sunday and my mom was like there's no way he would do that he's on a skateboard team he's you know he practices and she was just oblivious um but i wasn't like i would only drink when i could not like so you know occasionally like every couple weeks or every you know whenever it was available whenever it was available um and it wasn't until like literally after i graduated high school and could be out on my own and that i could get drunk more and more and more and pretty soon but yeah from from age 14 to like 19 i didn't really get in trouble and i did my homework and um, i would drink on i could drink one night a week friday or saturday because my dad wouldn't let me uh, he was like, you have to get good grades in school. So I'd have to stay home one night and do homework, and I could party on Friday or Saturday and stay the night at a friend's house. And um, So I didn't really have a chance to get addicted. Yeah. And But every time I smoked weed, I regretted it, And but I'd smoke weed every chance I get. And not every time I drank did I regret it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. And then, but I did real. I was like, man, if I just didn't, like, get so wasted that I was so hung over the next day I could have won that or you know like mm-hmm. yep. oh I could have done so much. I started realizing what the ominous warning that like um I if I didn't get wasted I could have done better yeah <laughs> and then and then I lost a job you know by the time I was like 19 then I worked at a skiwear warehouse which was cool I still work in the skiwear industry kind of but um I remember like they just kind of let me go and I remember thinking, like, deep down, like, man, you know, if you just, like, would wait until Friday to get drunk, you could, you know, because we don't plan to call in sick to work when we take a sip of alcohol. Yeah. And then, you know, calling in sick on Wednesdays and then calling sick on Thursday because <laughs> I just thought I'd have a beer on Tuesday. Even though I don't think I'm going to have a beer, I literally Hoover vacuum all the stuff as much as I possibly can the minute I start. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, that's... I'm curious, <laughs> like, did, did you know any sober people growing up? Because, like, like, when I met you, it was like... I mean, I was active use and everything, but it was like... It was just fascinating to me that this is, like, a sober person. Like, did you meet anyone, like, as in your journey growing up? Um. Yeah, by the time I was, like, 30. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember Um, I had a couple... Th- and I looked up to them. Uh, my mm. friend Anthony, he like, he's an amazing human, but and I used to flow him skateboards for my skateboard company. But I was like, you've never had a drink in your entire life. Wow, that's gangster. Yeah. And I've got a few mm. friends like that where, we're just yeah, I just never did. And you don't really notice those though. I didn't notice. Well, some of my friends they they'd hang out the whole time and they just never touch anything. Um, but yeah, so I did know a few. Um. And then I had another friend, we all know him, but he was sober in 1993. I offered him a beer in a 40. He was like, oh, no, not me. That, and then I remember thinking he was crazy because he would run around with us hmm. and not drink. But he was, like, in recovery. Right. And he went back out because you can't really run around with that crowd for too long. Yeah. The barbershop mentality, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, um, yeah there's, there's, like, people that... I, that were hanging out with us too that were like you said they never had it that we were calling them like straight edge yeah 
Is is that was that a thing or is that am I making that up in my mind that that like people that were had never taken a drop of alcohol like they were called straight edge? Yeah, there well there's different kinds of straight edge. There's straight edge like people that claim it, like hardcore straight edge people mm-hmm. that don't drink or drug and I got my one friend He's never in his entire life done anything. Um, but there's also people that, like, today I wouldn't call them straight edge because they it's not like a lifestyle for them to not drink or do drugs. They just don't drink or do drugs. Mm. So, you know, I used to think squares were whack. Oh, for sure. But I remember I get sober, yeah. sober for a few years. I'm like, yeah. man, they had it figured out. Yeah. Right. Wake up in the morning, uh-huh. have some water and stretch, go for a jog, you yeah. know, like... <laughs> Wear some slippers or something, you know, like, yeah. like I used to think those make people, your bed, yeah, make your yeah. Bed oh, and I'm like into making my dishes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yes, very into it. You guys make your bed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Every All, day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. every day. My wife gets annoyed. <laughs> like she's like, dude, come on, man. Like, I, I get it. I every once in a while I tempt her with like her trying to do it, leaving the bed undone, and then finally I'm like, never mind. <laughs> and then yeah, but anyway, um, <laughs> so at. Did you ever? So you said you were going up and down the West Coast and uh, skating. So, so skating seemed to be a very big part of your life. Big. Was that something that you did almost every day? Yeah, as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. So then, at what point did you fly the coop and just say, "Look, I'm out," and you left the home and you were like, "I'm, I'm gonna just roam and get an apartment, live on wherever, yeah. do do your thing." Eighteen. Me and my friend moved to where there was a half pipe in Auburn, so that we could skate every day. And also, I could like drink freely and party like a rock star. And uh, the manager of that building said, "If you move out, we'll give you good rental history." And uh, so they that, wanted you out. Yeah, that yeah. was where it started. So that was 1992. We called it the Fubar year, and uh, we'd make tapes of us getting fucked up beyond all recognition. And we actually would make mm. VHS tapes of like Steve-O. stupid shit. Yeah, mm. Stevo in '92. Yeah, mm. and uh, <laughs> first Stevos, right? And and my skating just dissipated. My traveling by '92, it was you know, but I was still kind of making moves. You know, like I would show up to all the skate events, and sometimes I could pull it together. And um, I was like, but by so '94 to '96, I don't, I was smoked, fried. So I was going uphill. We opened a skate park in Seattle, the first one at the end of 93, beginning in 94. Got the skate park open, and that's when I started, like, like it was drink every night. Started dabbling in the powders, uh, trying to be a drug dealer, even though, like, it's pretty much impossible when when you're a drug fiend, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So th- yeah. by then, I was, like, trying to be some, some, something I'm not, and... That skate movie mid '90s came out. That recently, um, what's that kid's name? Jonah Hill. He made the the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't remember the mid '90s. The only thing I really remember from the mid '90s is sitting in jail and seeing OJ driving in the white Bronco while I was sitting in jail. I remember that, and I remember like a dude came in. We were watching like Crime Stoppers. And like this dude robbed a bank or something on Crime Stoppers, and he came into our jail cell, and he was like a celebrity. Yeah, you're like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then literally 95, 96, I was so gone that like I accomplished zero. But January 1997, I decided to really give it an honest shot at getting sober, or what I thought was an honest shot 
of like, I can't do any of it. It wasn't so much that I thought I was an alcoholic, but my parents thought I was a complete loser. I was useless. And I thought if I just quit drinking, then I'll stop doing all that other stupid stuff. I'll stop doing like, you know, you take a drink, you want a line. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I quit drinking and started going to Atheist Agnostic AA, Whoa. January 1997, and really pulled my life back out of the out of the gutter. And what those guys did, it was cool. I went every Tuesday and Saturday for a couple years, never did any work other than I was the secretary. But I would actually um, smoke weed most of the time, but they didn't care. And honestly, like my <laughs> my life improved dramatically yeah. right. that time. Yeah. yeah, dramatic. I was able. Then I started putting together some game. Like uh, I felt like I was gonna like show everybody that I'm not a complete loser. So um, I got really heavily back into skating. Got into the production end of it. Ramp building, skateboard contest producer, skate team manager, um, board company owner. Like. Um, just you know, built a life. Yeah, and uh, how many how many um, how many parks have you built? Do you think in your career? Just all the um, indoor ones that we've had in the Seattle Northwest area. So there was Seascape, and then I actually worked at the Bellevue Skate Park and did a couple remodels there, and then um, Skate Barn, Rain City Skate Park was our big one though. It was yeah. down here mm-hmm. on Royal Broham. Um, and then I actually didn't build inner space in 2003. They built it, but then I helped with remodels and then I rebuilt that as the current skate park I work at. So like anything I've, I've kind of been involved in everything, skateboard production around Seattle, but there's not like been a million skate parks, but yeah. Have you, have you traveled to make skate park? Yeah. Yeah. I was just doing one last month in Salt Lake. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. It's not a thing I it's something that I love, like, even like yesterday, I was like, this never gets old. And the homie's like, it never gets old. <laughs> you know, like, mm. making that perfect transition on a ramp and, like, getting to try mm. it. Yeah. Um, but it's not my, it, it takes a toll on your body. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. You were just telling us to, before we started rolling that you're doing one at T-Mobile Park. Yeah. For the Mariners, it's, they're having, like, a skate, what do they call it, skate, skate day or something? Yeah, it's, um, so... We're going to have a half pipe there, and then we're going to be giving free skateboard lessons the whole entire game. And then during the seventh inning, there's going to be a skateboard demonstration on the ramp. Wow. And uh, to the first thousand people, you get like a board. And um, yeah, I just like really wanted to be involved in that because then I'd be like, wow, like who would have ever thought when I got Mm. on a skateboard in 1983 that they'd be having a ramp at the Mariner game in 2023? And you would have built the ramp. Yeah. And you would have been participating in it and skating on it. And uh, that that's... Uh, see, these are the moments that I, I like. Um, when you say, you, who would have ever thought, right? These who would have ever thought moments. And so when you were in that, that time period of you couldn't remember, there had to... Did you, did you get sat down into jail and then you were like, all right, I got I to gotta put this together. Like meaning, was there a, was it jail that sat you down to get you to that that point, or or was there a moment well, that you remember? So I'm a big proponent of like maybe people need to be isolated from their addiction for a period of time. But uh, 
I, every time I went to jail, would be like, as soon as I got out, which I, I went like 10 times. One time I stayed for like, a couple times I stayed for like three or four days. It was always just for stupid shit. So no felonies, just like, um, but I always just thought I needed to change something. Like, uh, and then get out and then, but I, I, it wasn't going to jail. It was literally, um, having my mom was like, you're just a drug addicted loser. And my, my dad was like, you're not even my son. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, and I'm like, damn, that's harsh. And that's harsh. Um, and then, so I, I was like, well, I'm going to figure this out somehow. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So then. You built all this stuff. You you had you had built this life, and yeah. you had, and that's not your sober day. Nine, what ninety three? You said no. That was that was January ninety seven. Right, ninety seven. And so then something, take us through like the, how it all like or whatever happened. Like what what ha- what ended up happening? Um. Well, so I went like five months, and then I decided to start smoking weed again. You know, and but I don't just smoke a little weed. I instantly just twenty four seven around the clock, and then I went to the weed house and. The homie that I hadn't seen in years, like, just pulls out the crack pipe. I'm like, okay. And then the thing about me is, like, I believe in a spiritual universe that, like, when you do something, there's always a consequence. So, like, I'm like, well, I know, like, something bad's going to happen when I do this. And, you know, like, whatever, I was, like, a project went shit, you know. And then I beat myself up over that. And then... um. But, you know, then I would go, like, three or four months where I would just smoke weed again. And then somebody pulls out some Valium pills. And then I had arrived. Then I had a girlfriend that was prescribed um, Ritalin. And I realized that if I take Ritalin, I can build ramps faster. You know, like, I can do everything so much better on Ritalin. Even though, like, the truth is I don't do it better. And, um, I was, uh, you know, I was just uh, lying to myself. And I was inconstitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly, like, I, it was just a constant tug of war of, like, I shouldn't do that, but I'm doing it. And I bartended in Pioneer Square for, like, a decade, and I bartended all over Seattle for 15 years. And it's just, like, every time I would say, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop taking, like, Percocets. And then the homie would come into the bar and be like, dude, I just got 30 Percocets. I was going to unload them on you. You know, like, it was impossible to quit while working yeah. in the, the bar industry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then my life kept going downhill, downhill, slowly chipping away. And to the point where I finally just decided to start drinking again, which was the um, best, worst idea I ever had. And then it only took a few more years for... My life to crash to the point where and that was like 2006 to like 2011 um but yeah just slowly to where like i used to get called for everything skateboarding related everywhere by everyone and i could be like yeah i'll charge this much and uh like always had something to do always having fun always being involved in the cool stuff to like nobody's calling me for anything mm-hmm. and me being like oh i to, oh, I used to be able to do that. The story, oh, yeah, the I, I used to. Yeah, I used to be a legend. <laughs> Sitting there high as a kite. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you used to. Hi, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Did, and I, then yeah. you can't even run with that yeah. anymore. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. some people still do, but like, it, yeah, run, run, oh, yeah, this guy, he does this, he does that. It's like, 
thinking like I don't need to do that anymore. Like I hadn't built yeah. a ramp in a couple of years. I hadn't done any cool skateboard tricks, or I haven't like done anything like real positive other than hang out with a rough crowd. And uh, the, then yeah, just I was useless. Yeah, I feel you. I felt like that with golf, like because I was a, I was an excellent golfer, like in like my early twenties, and I was like rising real fast and stuff, and like people were saying I could have went pro and this and that, but then like my mid twenties was just like like kind of what you're saying, like with the mid mid nineties, yeah. it was just like I don't even remember much of like my mid twenties, so like and that was just it was just like phew. yeah, like, and uh, yeah, it was it was one of those things where like people would call call me to like man. Playing in tournaments, or you did, and I would just be all fucked up, like nah, I don't even fucking golf anymore. Yeah, like, that kind of stuff. Did I you did you skate skate through your active addiction, or were you kind of just like fucked it? Like, did was there the second round? Yes. So the mid nineties, I I didn't don't even know what I did from like 90, 95 and ninety six. I don't know. Like, I don't think I, I like I carried a skateboard. It was my identity from mm -hmm. up until two thousand eleven. Yes, because I had this thing where I was like. If I have a perfect combo, you know, like if I have the perfect combo, like a Percocet and a half a Zan, and then maybe right. a par partial, you know, if I can just put it together with a half a Coors can, like if you can get this right balance and ooh, you know, I always had to just, it was seven or eight years of just trying to get that perfect balance of what exactly I need. And also I used to clean, like, because I didn't know, you know, I've listened to all the podcasts you guys did too, but you know very well how sick you get. So I was on the oxys from 2002. I was smoking them in 09, 08, you know, but I never knew that you got sick when you stopped. So like I would like run through 20 of them and then just be sick for like four days and not know it was because I just thought I caught a cold and had the flu. <laughs> and then like a week would go by where I didn't do any hard stuff, but I would just smoke weed. Right. And then I'd get my health up and I'd have a good day of skating and then I would go find any hard drugs I could. So I never, and I used to be like, well, you know, I don't, I'm not a crackhead because I only smoke crack occasionally. I'm not a tweaker because I only do tweak when I feel like it. And I'm not, <laughs> you know, definitely pill Clinton though, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Like anything. You, the you dog dewormer. I remember. What? I know, this is crazy. This, All right. Well, no. Well, yeah. Dog the one, dewormer? Uh, I dude gave me a bottle of pills and like I popped I I took them all and then went on the book and like at some point found out it was just like dog dewormer or uh, one time I had this <laughs> girlfriend and she was on Paxil and I think that's like some kind of antidepressant and um, I remember I ate them all and she was fit to be tied she was just like she dumped me shortly after but I couldn't the pills just wouldn't change me so. The cool thing is later, I figured there's I, I figured out what pills to take. Like I wouldn't just take anything. But you know I, I knew what to take. But it's a, a miserable life looking back on it. Yeah, when you <clears throat> were were you ever homeless? No. Ooh, that was good. Yeah. So were you a couch surfer or were kind of kind of mm -hmm. had an apartment maybe kind of in the that mid to late nineties part. Uh, I was, for m if it weren't for my mom or my dad, like at that one point where my dad was like, you're not even my son, you get the fuck out of here. Like that was when I was like, well, I'm going. It could, so I could go party or couch surf for like three weeks at a time right. and come home and chill for four days and then go back out. So 
if it weren't for parents, then yes, of course, I would have been homeless, I'm sure. Yep. Um, but most of the time I was able to pull off like not being, I have a feeling if I went back out, I'd be at those tents folded over like a little for sale sign, you know, sandwich board looking at the ground instantly mm -hmm. yeah. and then be dead. Inst like, I know that y'all are the same with that. Like we'd be dead yeah. quick. It is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. I, we had a uh, Huxley in here, uh, couple weeks ago and she was just talking about fentanyl yeah and her addiction to fentanyl and like we uh <clears throat> i've never uh knowingly took him took him fentanyl yeah Ruby the same. and mm -hmm. yeah had you ever had you ever heard of fentanyl yeah i was i was smoking fentanyl for like years okay yeah but we yeah. were we were smoking the um pharmaceutical fentanyl that was melted down to like one percent and uh, I know I listen to your podcast, too, but the thing about you is you're going to just snort a bump that's going to kill you. Yeah. Because it's yeah. going to have right. that stuff exactly. in it. Right, right. And I know about you because yeah. you said, well, I'm just not, I'm going to take this <laughs> pill anyway. <laughs> I'm going to take her anyway yeah. kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> How'd you get your pills? Just anyway, anyhow? No, my dude is dead now. He just oh, died. Um, I had... And I wanted to make amends to him. So I always was worried about what people thought about me. And I always was worried about my image, even though I'd be driving around in a bucket with a broken <laughs> window yeah. with, with my dude, Froje, RIP, in the car. And I only would hang out with him when, because uh, he was my dealer. I pretty much had one main dude for, for like 10 years. And, uh, and, and I only used him for drugs. And... When I got clean, he's the one who said, so in 2011, I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to get help. He's like, man, be careful, bro, because you're going to get addicted to the meetings, and that's almost just <laughs> bad. No, I heard that same thing from like, the homies, too. Yeah, they're like, they're, like, they're going to get in your head. Yeah, and like, yeah oh. they, they did. I'm <laughs> so yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm so happy. to that shit. And I always wanted to make amends to him to be like, you know, I didn't, tr I, I, only, I was using you for drugs because I wouldn't talk to you for three weeks at a time or, you know, I, like a month at a time. But towards the end, it was every day. Like I would pick him up at nine in the morning, take him to the methadone clinic, then get my gram and then call him back later for the half gram. And that was of the, of the black, just smoking black tar heroin. And then, uh, and, th and then the fentanyl came and uh, we did that up until 2011. So I would say like uh, my first fentanyl experiences were probably around 2000, 2008, uh, 2007, 2008. But by the time I knew it was consistent, that was when they made the oxys uh, more difficult to smoke. Well, that was around 2010, um, whatever. It was just a blur of chasing dope, a feeling that, um, that I don't miss. Yeah. Was there any per like precarious situations you were in that you can recall that were just like, well, this is fucked up. Like I should not, this is just not where I'm supposed to be in life. And like, I don't know. I just, I've had, I had a scenario where I was, I was getting these pills from this one guy. I, I was, he was like, Pete, we're going to go over here and get them from this dude. I was like, but you got to give me one. I said, okay, no problem. Now, Little did anybody know I was using them, but I was just trying to pretend like I was selling them. So he was like, cool, whatever. So we go out here. I don't even know where we were. We had this, we were at this like AM, PM. I, I don't even know. And we get in this car <clears throat> of this other dude. So now we get out the car, we get in the car. And he's like, the, the guy I'm with, he's like, man, can you sell, sell me half a pill to the drug dealer? 
And I was like, bro, shut the fuck up. Like, nobody sells half a fucking pill. And the dude was like, what? He was like, I have well, I don't do that shit. What the fuck? You're crap. And he was just like, ha ha. So all of a sudden, I get the dope. And I hadn't had it for like had it for like a day or two. And my my stomach started rumbling. And we get back to this AMPM, and I'm like, man, I got I'll be right back. I go into this AMPM, I'm like, oh man. And the restroom is broken. And I was like, oh shit. And I'll never forget, like, I shit myself. <clears throat> Yeah, outside of that AMPM in my drawers, and I, I remember shitting myself, taking off like in front of, like just taking off my shorts, taking the underwear, throwing the underwear, wiping my ass with them, throwing the underwear, putting the shorts back on, and being like, "Let's roll, like let's go." <laughs> and so, like, there was these moments though, that were like, "What the fuck am I doing?" And so, do you have any of those moments? Well, I have a thousand of them. Yeah. Uh, some. I probably wouldn't want to have public, public, but, um, I mean, I remember one time just going up into the homie's crib because I used to buy pills and coke. So this was a different homie. They were friends with the one that just passed. And, th- uh, and this dude happens to be like 14 years clean and sober now. Uh, but I would go in there and, uh, after work and like see the girl holding the baby, but smoking the meth bulb mm-hmm. and me just being like, Mm-hmm. That kid is fucked, and but I'm here. And then I remember like going up into a, like an apartment on Capitol Hill with that dude to get like some some black, and uh, all the people was scattered like rats, and the floor was covered with needles. And me just like I'm supposed to be like cool, you know, like I'm supposed to have a rep mm-hmm. of somebody that built something, and I'm like this is not where I'm supposed to be. But also, like, I mean, I could tell you the craziest stories you could possibly imagine. I've had pistols put to my head on multiple occasions. Um, and uh, where I was like, this is going to make a good story. <laughs> uh, that was your thought process? Yeah, I swear to God. <laughs> One time, <laughs> I used to work at uh, um, J&M Cafe. And our, yeah, our, right uh, here. Yeah. Our dishwasher, Crackhead Chris, and he was super cool, but he was a crackhead. And he, you could only give him the money $10 every 45 minutes, and he would go outside and get a crack rock. And then. Because you couldn't give him like 50. Right, because right. he. But he would tell you this. He was a functional crackhead, mm. and his name was Crackhead Chris. He wore it proudly, but uh, I went with Crackhead Chris one night, you know, a couple of different times. We got, but one night we got wax. He's all, damn it, it's wax. Like we got Jack. We're, oh, fake. Yeah, fake right, crack. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I was like, fuck. Well, and I was like, you think? And he's like, no. Nah. Like, he would even be like, I, I give up. I'm not going to, you know, keep trying. He you would know? quit. And I smoked the $60 worth of wax. Yeah. Um, Because I thought, well, they're got to, like, it's something. Gotta something. Something. Right. got to do yeah, something. They couldn't have just gave me yeah. nothing. Right. Um, There was, yeah, a million stories where yeah. it was like, holy shit. I can't. I, I would go down uh, to the jungle over in Belltown, and one time I met a dude, and like I was like, I got money, you know, like if it was payday and I had eight hundred dollars, like we can just let's get some crack, 
And I watched the dude turn into it. He started balking at me like a chicken. He was and then the other homie was like, he thinks it's fake. And I was like, but he's and then the dude would balk like a chicken and his eyes would bug out. And then he'd start chilling after a second. And he'd be like, let me get another hit. And I was like, because the shit was not fake. We were geeking. But yeah, the dude, every time he took a crack hit down in Belltown, he'd turn yeah. into a chicken and start balking like this. And well, I've seen two people do that. Two different times in my life. In the mid-90s and in the mid-2000s, I saw human men take hits of crack and start damn. balking like a chicken with the wings and everything. Yeah, w was there any behaviors that you noticed that you were uh, exhibiting? Like, did you, yeah, when you, yeah. Well, the people that do, when you see everybody bent over, organizing, yeah. I used to do that in the apartment. Yeah. Mm. I just didn't do that outside. But yeah. I, like, I know what they're doing. Like, yeah. I just was doing that inside. And I even had this friend, like, we would, uh, I go, you don't need to smoke crack in there. I actually sponsor her boyfriend right now. It's funny, small world. But she's, I go, he, he, I like, <laughs> And then I would smoke and be like, okay. And like, everything looks like crack on the ground. And she's like, because she smokes crack like a normal person. Like, just hits it and trips out or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. the one homie you guys interviewed that would, like, you know, smoke crack and shoot dice. Like, yeah. nothing. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. I've been, like, I'm like, just start organizing the, the pebbles on the ground. Thinking <laughs> everything's crack. And I had this other girlfriend, and we would do it. And I would go, okay, it's time. Because she, she started doing it with, like. You guys started doing it together. Organizing <laughs> the crumbs on the ground. That's, that's totally normal when you do that. It's a normal behavior when, you, when you're living that life. But, right. Um, Did you ever smoke the, uh, the scene, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, no, no, I didn't, oh, but I, I sold it to somebody. Oh, I yeah. sold it, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. right. And I gave it to people when they wanted some. That wanted some of my shit, but no, I didn't. I never smoked it that I know of. Yeah, yeah, knowingly. It's, it's tripped me out. You said there's a jungle in Belltown because I didn't even know. I didn't know about this jungle, but that I didn't see it. All these nooks and cra uh, crannies in the city that yeah. probably I never been to, but there's all the like, where's the jungle in Belltown? Uh, it was where Sean Kemp would shoot baskets, where the uh, dog park is now on Third and Bell. Oh, oh, they would call that the jungle. That was the original jungle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I call that j the jungle f for life, even though yeah. I know there's other jungles now. Right. Um, and it was definitely, like, mellower. Oh, yeah, I could tell you a million stories. I remember one time I this dude comes by, and I've got friends in the car, but I was on a, just a, a bender, and something snapped in my head, and I was like, uh, I gave a dude walked by my car. I was in front of Shorty's in Belltown. Dude walked by my car and asked me for some spare change. I was in a good mood, and I handed him some change. Like, what the fuck is this? I was like, it must have been like two or three dollars. And my head, because I'm crazy when I drink, and I was like, he's talking shit. And I was like, well, if you want more money, then fucking hook me up with some stones. He's like, okay, I'll get you right around the corner. And uh, we go around the corner, and he hooks me up with the dude, and then I pull out the switchblade. And this is a gangster that would kill me. And then he, but he didn't know, he was like, who's this fucking geeker with the switchblade like what and i snatched the rocks and i ran to my car and i jumped in the car and i had friends in the car that were like what in the actual fuck and i smell like i just jacked a crack dealer like laughing drunk and as i'm screeching my tires there's this lady running next to the car she's like i got a pipe <laughs> like i got the pipe she knew i needed a pipe like let's yeah. go we're, yeah we're gonna go running together. by my car yeah uh, that was a bit of a wake-up call. Like, how the fuck did I survive that? 
Um, but like I would do shit like I was just a Jekyll and Hyde, like, you know, and then probably like, you know, after a couple days, like chilled out and was like, I really need to get my shit together. And I really need to like do something different. And then like maybe maybe was sober for like three days because I knew I was going to get killed. And I don't think I went back to Belltown for five years after that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That fear just drove you out of that fucking place. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, like, because I don't know anything else but Seattle. I've been here my whole life, and it sounds like us, too. Like, do you think there's something about Seattle that's, like, I don't know, like, do other people in other cities? I know they get loaded in other cities, but, I mean, it's, like, like this is, like, the home of grunge, and, like, there was, like, that whole punk scene, and it's, like, I don't know. There's something about what the weather and the, the people here or something that do you think that that contributes to people just, like, the alcoholism, the drug addiction? Do you think that contribute? Is it I, obviously? I but Portland too, like Portland Northwest type shit. There's like there's a, just a different vibe when it comes to like getting loaded around here. Yeah, Port Portland's as bad as Seattle. Mm. It's the same type of thing. Like I would go down there, and my friends down there were going through the same phases. And one of my friends moved here from Denver in like 2008. Like, what do you guys do during the because he moved here in the summer and summers were chill like we would skateboard and party on the weekends and right summertime is fun yeah but mm. do all kinds of stuff but it wasn't really a big problem but he goes what do you guys do in the in the winter and i was like well we smoke black he's like what you know and then and then uh when the winter hit i'm smoking the black and i was like remember i told you we do this and he <laughs> didn't like that he didn't <laughs> like he's like i'm, I'm not yeah. either i'm not doing that yeah i really like i missed like a solid decade of snowboarding because that's what i do now okay. for the last 10 years i snowboard all winter long to where it's like we didn't even have a winter yeah i, I didn't have one depressing day uh -huh. where it was raining and i was so miserable that i wanted to smoke an opioid and then the summers are so awesome and way more awesome when you're sober and you get to wake yeah. up every day and you get to go about your day and you know you, you don't even like it's tank top weather and uh but before summers were about drinking weather yeah oh, it was and winters yeah. were about isolating oh yeah I right. think, solo you know? dolo yeah just getting loaded so yeah, take take man, we're gonna get to it now. Sorry, I went all over the place. No, that was, that was, of, like, that part shit I probably wouldn't hard. normally tell. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was some yeah. dark stuff. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> we have an editor. If you want to edit it, I might have to. I edit. didn't tell I the might, ones I wouldn't yeah, want anybody I'm, to know. I might, but you can to, edit. I might have to edit mine, okay. my story about shitting myself. But <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's part of my story. Yeah. Um, so let take us through the sobriety, man. The moment. The the did you have to go to treatment? Did you stop? Did you? How did it work? Since how did you get your sober day? So by the the end. Um, for the last few years, it was just like, this has to stop, this has to stop, this has to stop. I'm going to Every day. Go. Yeah, every day. And then I was like, I have to get to a meeting and I have to go do the full thing and it has to stop. And like, I was like Googling AA and yeah. Googling, yeah. I found they showed like Googling yeah. AA and it was like swingers AA. I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, and then, um, rational recovery where it's like, and then it, there's just, so much stuff and then i would be like oh you know and then i would get loaded and get loaded and get loaded and then um at a certain it, it all came to an end when shit was crazy like i was just like looking around my scenario where i'm like i should have never seen anything like that in my life i i had a girlfriend for a couple years who i was like she was going crazy at how fucking off the rails i'd be all the time she thought i was gonna die i was like okay i will 
watch what I do. You watch this. And I just like found, uh, and I had, um, was part-time working. We had a skateboard company. I had a skateboard company for like 10 years and my business partner had a screen print shop and he'd always let me work for like $10 cash under the table, washing screens or folding t-shirts. And there was one person there. It was actually a trans dude named Lou. And, uh, he was like, um, I, I go to meetings on Tuesdays. You're welcome to join me. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm ready. Mm. And he took me to Scum Also Rises on Tuesday. Mm. On Beacon? Yeah, yeah. Where this is when it was in Georgetown. Okay. And I knew a couple people there from just being in Seattle for thir- 38 years. And yeah. like, oh, and I thought those guys would have been sober for, for a lot longer. It's like, yeah, you must be sober for 15 years. Because I came in 2007. Mm-hmm. But they had new dates, just like... Some yeah. people have to get new dates, yep. and uh, but I knew a few people, and uh, then they were like, "Here's a meeting to to tomorrow, and you can go there." And then I went to that meeting, and then uh, I was dragging my girl with me the whole entire time, and she wasn't really knowing what was going on, because I think she could take it or leave it, even though she was going hard with me. Right, she was with it, but yeah. she could possibly stop. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, then they would, I would go to that meeting, and then they'd tell me to go. So it was. this is what it was. Tuesday, I went to Scum Also Rise. They said, go to Posse on Broadway on Wednesday. Wednesday, I went to Posse on Broadway. They said, go to Excellent Adventure on Thursday. Thursday, I went to Excellent Adventure. Friday, I went to Pilgrims. Saturday, I went to SYP, Seattle Young Peoples. They, then Sunday. Burian? Nope. SYP nope. is up on... Uh, on um, 19th and Aloha, I think. And then uh, Sunday by the book. And then Monday, DRU Central. And I swear to God, I did that for nine years. Mm. And then, I, but the thing is, I would go to those meetings and then uh, by, I think, Excellent Adventure on that Thursday, I asked this dude that, another dude that I saw, when I said I saw seen two people turn into human chicken smoking crack, a dude that I'd seen turn into human chicken smoking crack that I knew for like 20 years and he was two years sober, I was like, can you sponsor me? You know what I mean? Because you're famous in here. Yeah. I thought he was famous because everybody calls, I Googled his name. I thought when you, you know, when you come to A, like I thought there was famous people because they got called on all the time and I thought there (laughs) was this big cult. For real. Mm. And, uh, but most people go home at the end of the night and the person getting called on is probably the person that's doing a lot of AA and has a message of hope to share, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but I was just like, you're the guy I, I know, like everybody looks up to you. I need you to sponsor me. And so then I instantly just got into the book and I would go to Agape at noon with little Rita. And then I would go to living in sobriety at four o'clock in Ballard. And then I would go to one of those seven meetings I listed on Capitol Hill. And then I would shoot out to, uh, um, the Fremont hall. That's where I got my 90 day coin. And I did that. Definitely for the first 90 days. And then I kind of stopped going to the Fremont Hall because I realized, like, uh, well, and the girlfriend at the time definitely didn't like going there. Um, and eventually she stopped going to the meetings with me. And eventually she dumped me, um, which is fine. Probably the best, a good thing. But um, I uh, just was going to meetings. Like, I've made AA my whole entire life. I got addicted to them. And it took a minute before the, th- the whole thing started happening in, like, pretty quick. Um, I was like, I'm going to volunteer. My friends run this organization called Skate Like a Girl. 
And mm. at that time, it was still, it'd been around for a few years, but I was like, I'm going to, like, literally, I'm going to become Mr. Rogers. I thought the idea of God was just, my grandma's up there watching me. So I'm going to just do everything. And she was like a real uh, preacher or something like that. And uh, I was like, I'm going to volunteer for Skate Like a Girl, and I'm going to just do whatever you're doing, I'm here. And, like, I started giving free skateboard lessons on Sundays at the skate parks, driving around uh, with my car full of skateboards and uh, doing, and then just, like, I never went, didn't go without any food. You know what I mean? Somehow I was always taken care of, but I wasn't getting any money. Um, And then just slowly just started showing people that, like, like showing up, just showing up. And then the AA thing, I was like, I'm going to run this shit. Yeah. But then after like about a year, I'm like, okay, that's pretty much that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> run this shit. We're supposed to be sheep yeah. in this shit, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and, right. uh, but <laughs> my, my life depends on it. So I'm gonna like do everything it takes to, uh, to just like really be a member of this. And, I've been doing it for 12 years and I don't go to, you know, three meetings a day anymore. Sometimes I, I will, I'd love to, but life got big. Right. Life got real, real big. Well, and, well, and, and when you say that, like some of the things that we were trying to like kind of think ahead of is like, what is a day in the life of Marshall? Let's say, you know, five years ago versus today. Like what, what are these days in the life look like? Because it's one thing to say, I went to these meetings, but there's 24 hours in a day. And so you have this one hour, one hour and a half, you're hanging. But what did those days look like? If you could take us through maybe one of those days that, you know, yeah, you're not making money and you're, sca- you know, you're doing this stuff. But like, I mean, I don't know. I want the audience and the people out there that may have never had a day like that to know what it's like. Um. Well, so what happened is, Here's what I believe. I believe that once you um, do the work and have a spiritual experience, that anything is possible if you set your mind to it. And now we have the tools to do that. So I was like, I kind of invented this idea that we can make a skateboard park, but make it like a skateboard school. And we can teach children how to skateboard all the time. And we can teach everybody how to skateboard all the time. Even adults. Uh, yeah, just like we can, we can do this. It can be done if somebody would like trust me and somebody... Um, some, somebody really like gave me the golden ticket to do it. And, uh, so it went from meetings, three to four meetings a day with fellowshipping and just hanging out all day, every day with people in the program to kind of like get in, in those people in the program. Some of them are still around. Most of them aren't, but some, the ones that kept doing it are still around. Then it got to the point where it was like, okay, obviously we, we can't do AA all day, every day. And and I gained a lot of weight too. I gained like 40 pounds. So then I decided to, uh, I was like, well, this is what I want to do. I want to like, I, I saw a homie who was hella jacked, just got out of prison. He's like, you can look like this too. And I'm like, I, okay. And I did now, I don't, you know, but I went 110 into the gym. Then I went 110 into hobbies. Like, uh, like skateboarding is, is awesome and all, but A, it's my job and B, it hurts really bad. So then I got back into snowboard. Another homie of mine that, that got sober with me, and he's a pro snowboarder. He said, anything you need, he got me back into snowboarding. Then I, I tried, like, bird watching and hiking and yoga and uh, 
anything. I was like, Let, yeah, let's try it. They did a book club. I was like, I'll do anything because what I've been doing, uh, I, all I did was get loaded and have a skateboard and try and do something to impress somebody, whatever it was, even if it was producing an event. It was just like, so now it's just like learn to like, there's so many things I heard somebody say, like, you know, they were like, nobody ever smelled a flower or looked at like the beauty of like some some scenery out there you know like mm. the landscape or you know like there's just yeah. so much out there but yeah so today it's a lot different today it's like wake up read a prayer a lot of prayers or you know try a little meditation on the phone and do the 86 and 87 thing that they always talk about and then um go to work where i get get to be impactful in people's lives and then hit the gym and then uh Usually I'll go to a meeting, but then during the winter I do a lot of snowboarding, and then during the summer I do a lot of like fly fishing. Yeah, that's what, that's one of the things that <clears throat> I've noticed about you is that you have you don't really have a problem being by yourself. Is that something that you're able to do? I uh, yeah. So um, because I never I always had a homie, like always my whole life like had the homie or had the girlfriend. Or had the homie and the girlfriend. Mm -hmm. But we all know what it's like to always have, you know, like. And then when I had about a year sober, I decided I'm going to go celibate. In it. And I don't see very many people do this. And um, I don't even recommend it to people because it's like, uh, this is what I did for two years. And I was like, I didn't even ask a girl for a coffee date. And all I did was focus on myself to where I could fall in love with myself and be okay with me, then I can present myself to somebody else and be like, at least I know who I am and I know what I can provide. And I know like um, what I know my worth. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, I love just being by myself. I love being alone, but I also love sharing experiences with other humans too. So I always vibe when I'm with some people and I always vibe when I'm all by myself. It's, but going, uh, you know, and then I kind of use the AA nights going to meetings is kind of like going to the bar. That's my little social part. Yeah. You know, but like, yeah, life's good. Yeah. I was going to ask you, too, because like I've been kind of struggling lately, like especially since it was like July 4th and All-Star Weekend. And like there's just like we know some of the same people and like I still go around some people that are drinking and and, and it's all good. You know, like not that I judge them at all, but like. And I'm, I still, like, do you still go around people, like, and, or how do you handle yourself in situations? Because I'm, I'm trying to learn how, how I can live my life where I'm not living under a rock or I can still go out and to functions and things. I don't know, like, but I'm, I'm dabbling whether this is a good thing for me to, to still participate in those kind of environments. I really don't participate in those anymore, and I did in the first few years. You got to try everything to find out what you like yeah. and what is what you feel is right. And like, um, I would rather be here and have them come to me, and then me help them, you know, or like me enjoy them in this world because I'm not gonna. What's more likely to happen? I think you guys have even said this. Am I more likely to get loaded with them, or are they mm -hmm. more likely to get sober with me? With me, yeah. right? You know, and um. Like, I and I don't know if it's, like, 15 years working in the bars and clubs, but I just don't want to go to a bar. But if it's necessary to go to, we're free to go anywhere, we, you know, right. where, you, where we're useful, mm -hmm. where we're needed. Hmm. I don't want to be around people that are drunk. And I, it makes me, 
like sad to be seeing like like I, I've got lots of friends and I've got my friends that are non-alcoholic that have a beer. And it's so funny, I realized I went on a two-day camping trip with a couple buddies and they just didn't bring beer. They're they're not alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Mm. They're just like they didn't even cross their mind that they needed beer. You know what I mean? So mm. and uh but the people that need the booze, I'm not trying to kick it with them. And I'm in a situation where I'm not even put in those situations. Like it's but I was at a skateboard event, you know, the Capitol Hill block party. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm called upon to be there to help produce the event and people are getting wasted and it's just background noise to me. And I get to be grateful and like spiritually fit and you know, it it doesn't bother me. But I'm not actively seeking drunk people to hang out with for any reason. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have like homies that are like still living that lifestyle, do you just like kind of just fuck with them from a distance a little bit? Yeah. Like yeah. each other on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, I'm I'm not I'm I'm just not going to put myself in those situations because I worked hard to get out of those situations. Yeah. They can come join me though. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that has drawn me to Marshall was his outlook on this exact topic. I've heard him share about this before. Okay. Of like, yeah, man, like, you know, I've spent my time kicking it with those cats, and there's nothing against those cats. They got their life, mm -hmm. but like, man, I don't, I'm not seeking that. And so then if they're real, uh, for me, if they're my true homies, they can come visit me or see, we'll see each other at the coffee shop or like whatever event they, these might, events might be. But I, I will say like being at the All-Star game, oh, three, two, three, four, three days in a row, it was like drinking was what was going on. Mm -hmm. Like, and so the obsession of like the party baseball uh, drinking, it was all just packed into this event. And it was interesting because if we weren't, if we weren't spiritually fit and we were going to those environments, you could see, I, I'm 100% sure that there was someone that relapsed during that of these events. And it's sad, but it's like, I don't know. I, I think if we had the All-Star Weekend every day for like weeks on yeah, end, we would yeah. get loaded. Uh, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe yeah. not, I don't know, but it just it seemed very uh very tempting put it like that like it, it the the situation for me though was like the obsession's been lifted so I can go wherever and that's cool but I just didn't I didn't like it that much man like it was cool but mm. it was like I didn't get to know anybody any better it, it wasn't like mm. yeah man what's up bro like tell mm. me your you know tell me about how your family's doing and it was more like I remember you were like you would like match chains with people. You'd be like, "Yo, man, nice chain, bro!" And it was like that big chain you had yeah. on. And so, yeah, I, did you did you participate? Have you? I mean, you, Marshall, being uh, a Seattle light and being in these environments, um, do you find yourself? See, I guess what a, what we're trying to work through is like with these events or these activities and these people coming into our lives. Uh, you must have set some boundaries. You must have, like, what what, what what were some things that you've been able to use as tools? Well, okay, so 4th of July, I went with my sister and went out with them, and they get it on, and my mom's dude is, like, blacked out, and my, si my sister's homie's drunk, and everybody's loaded. They had a 
gallon of Fireball when I got there, and they're passing the dank weed, and I'm just like, <laughs> um, oh, and it got to be 9.30 on the 4th of July, and I said, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to bounce. And my sister said, oh, well, you can bring Data with you. He can stay the night here. I said, nope, I'm going home. And she was like, I'm not bringing your kid to my house to stay the night because I, like, I just it will just say no when it's time to say no. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, I was at something not too long ago, and drunk dude was like, hey, can you give me a ride so I can just, like, and I'm like, nope. You know, like, honestly, like, uh, you shouldn't be driving, and but you better figure it out because I'm out. Like, it's 7 o'clock on a Thursday, and you're wasted at, like, something. That, like, you're... Like, I just don't make other people's problems my problems mm. out there. Now, in AA, right. I do. It's a problem. You know, I got sponsees that are dying or their loved ones are dying. You know, they're th- I kind of take on a little bit of that weight, but we're working to make a better life. But I just kind of, you know, I'm like, no, like, I'm out. All right, I'll see you. Yeah. Um, or I do the Houdinis. Like, I'll check it uh, out and say what's up. Bounce. Right. Yeah, the Irish goodbye. Yeah, I'm yeah. Totally. I mean, it's dope that you touched on, like, where you're finding your joy and stuff is like doing those hobbies and stuff that you're talking about because i'm i'm just i'm trying to find that marshall because like i'm just so i was from i came from partying and like doing being around that and stuff and it's just like making that transition into like i would love to start fly fishing or doing that kind of stuff but it's like i'm trying to i still want to have fun in sobriety and like i don't know i'm just on my own personal journey of like I'm definitely not, like, the poster boy for sobriety. Like, I go in precarious situations, and, like, I'm just around, like, stuff that most sober people wouldn't go around and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But, um, I don't know, I'm trying to find my way. But this has been really good for me to listen to you and just hear about how you've gone through your journey and finding your different hobbies and stuff like that. So, I don't know. How do you pick up hobbies? Like, how do you pick up fly fucking, like, did somebody say, hey, look, we're fly fishing, like, as a Seattle, like, what... What drew you to some of these hobbies? Well, I got really into doing bird photography because I used to be a skateboard photographer. Okay. And I still had the photography equipment. Okay. And um, I go through phases in life, and I was like, well, I've got the good equipment. So, And then my, my old boss, who's a really good friend of mine, he's a fly fisherman. My old boss at the skate park was like, dude, you need to come fly fishing with me because, like, the eagles come down on you. Come you get the on. coolest pictures. Oh, wow. Eagles are the... F- come on, And man. so, like, yeah, I, I'm going to get an eagle tattoo eventually. Yeah, come cool. on. Um, That's my flying animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've, totally. We've gone on eagle missions where we floated rivers and the eagles come out like pigeons and on the Skagit and, like, did a lot of... Did an eagle tour where they explained the, wow. the lifespan of an eagle. Anyway, like, I went with them a couple times and was like, uh, and then I saw a fish and was like, oh, my God, I saw a fish. And then uh, he taught me how to catch, you know, he like then I, I so now you get to see the eagles. You get to have the elk and deer and the beavers and the, the coyotes and the bears. And you get all the action of being out in the wildlife. I just don't bring my camera anymore. Yeah, I just switched over to like. Uh, and I might not catch a fish, but I'm out there. You're in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then 12 hours go by. And you know how people go to sleep to the sound of rivers? Mm. Yeah. I'm just meditating for hours. Yeah. Wow. Right. And right. found that. And then in the snow, when you're up there in the mountain, you're on mm. top of the powder. and you're. But I do believe that golfing, and I do believe that exercise, and I do believe that like trail running and uh, cycling, and there, there's a million. You just got to try it all. Mm. Right. You know, because when somebody said, what do you do since you don't drink? I'm like, everything. Right. Anything I want. Hell anything. Yes. yes. 
Like, okay. and, and all my judgments I had on the people in the past, I'm like, let me try that. Let me get a Patagonia, right. I'll get a Patagonia jacket because I thought those people were whack. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll try it. Pat- Patagonia's nice Patagonia, stuff. Man. Yeah. yeah, that was, so, that you was know, rich, like, rich people had that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I got a pro account, so I get deals on it. So oh, yeah. That's what's that. up. Yeah, yeah. That's what you get. See, things happen, right? Yeah. Um, when you when you touch on that eagle thing, like for me, uh, I did, I grew up in a really low income environment and we couldn't fly places and we couldn't go places. And so one of the things my mom would do is once a year we would go to the Skagit River yeah. and we would uh, rent a cabin. And then and I'm a teenager at this point. And she was like, we're going to go eagle watching. Yeah. And I was like, man, like, bro, I got things That's to do. Dope. That's dope. But then what would happen is like you'd be driving along this, the river. And there'd be a car pulled over, and the, the people would be out there with the binoculars. And you would literally pull over with them and be like, just start chatting. And, and then you'd be like, they'd be like, well, there's four over there. And you're like sitting there, and you're like, there's really four eagles over there. And so it became this like getting out of the city. See, in Seattle, we have a, a, an experience where we can get out of the city so easily, so quickly that. Um, before we know it, we're, I mean, eagles fly around here all the time, but the, but the point is just that getting exposed to nature um, has been probably one of the biggest benefits of my sobriety because what happens was, or for me, was like just getting outside. Like when I would be dope sick, I couldn't get the momentum to like get up and go outside. But once... I got enough energy to like get up. It was like I gotta get up and go walk. I gotta get outside. I got and so then I would get outside and then go for these walks. And like little did I know there here's an eagle flying and I'm just like, man, nature. And so um the reason why I just told that story is just because like for me, nature has been something that has really developed my spirituality. Because like before that I wasn't able to enjoy it. I always had this thought of like, man, I need to get out of here to go get, you know, go get something. Or even on those uh, activities, I was get loaded, had the vape pen or the alcohol, or whatever it was. And so, uh, but like you said, you can try any and everything. Have you have you ever tried uh, uh, the flow tank? No, not uh, yet. Sensory deprivation it's tank. On my list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's that's one of those. I, I get excited over those. Um, I'm ready to though. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, hey, Marshall. So this was one of my ideas: is a fellowship activity. Is like so you can rent, uh, let's say, Urban Float down in Renton. You can rent the rooms, like so let's say it's closing. You can rent like six or eight rooms for that last hour, and then like we would all go yeah. and we would all experience it, and then we'd come out and then have dinner or something after the uh, after the activity. It was one of those man. ideas I thought Sounds about trippy. fellowship. Sounds yeah, trippy. yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Well, man, um, is there is there anything you want to share with the man? What's up? You, you give us something uh, yeah. for s- struggling alcoholic addicts, or you know, uh, yeah. One thing I can say is that if you continue to expand your uh, spiritual life, uh, then you're going to be less um, conflicted about where you're at and what you're doing, and it comes like uh, it, it comes less. You know, like. Um, I, it w- took me, you know, eight or nine years to just say, like, God's going to put you in the right spot. The universe is going to put you in the right spot. Like, 
coincidence is going to land you in a better place if you continue to be open to a larger spiritual life. So uh, in, in the first few years, you got to try every kind of scenario where you're like, because I went to three or four baseball games last year and we won one. And I might have noticed I, I, somebody had a beer. You know what I mean? Like, but everybody had beer, but right. I don't even notice mm. that the people have the beer. Yeah. And you know what? The universe doesn't put blacked out people in my face anymore very, yeah. very often mm. at all. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I kind of, you know, like, yeah. um, and I know that I'll still go to shows and concerts and walk to a bar to get a burger. You know what I mean? And like, like, it's not, I'm free, free, you know? So like, but those first few years, you know, I would go and just kind of check it out and see because I miss my old friends and you know what I mean? Like a, a new fellowship built up around me. Mm. And when you repair the wreckage from the past, you get the people that, that, that the meaningful relationships back that, that mattered. You know, I got some of my friends back that really loved me, you know, that, that like I can spend my spare time with them and uh, you know, it, it'll get better and it'll get bigger. And I mean, when I had two years, I found myself literally on Juicy J's tour bus at 18 months down in L.A. where everybody's rolling blunts. And I'm like, I feel like a coop right now. What mm. the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. Like, I don't th that's like two years prior. I would have been like getting blunted and getting loaded with Juicy J and that'd be mm. cool. But I was like, this isn't I just don't feel right here. So I'm going to choose not to put myself in those situations anymore, you know, but you got to try all the situations, mm. you know, like my, my one of my my closest friends, but he's my sponsee, Sean, like I love this guy. We My sponsees become my friends, you know, but when he was, you know, in his first year or two, he'd be like going to his friend's 21st birthday. Mm -hmm. I was like, go to your friend's 21st birthday. You're free. You've done the steps. And he's like, you know, I was there for about a half an hour and had to bounce. You know, and then maybe the next time a friend's going to have a 21st birthday, just Venmo him a 20 or something. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and now we're older. We don't got any friends having 21st birthdays. <laughs> yeah. and, and we see people in AA turning 21 and right. we'll, we'll go do some. some. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. Right. right. But like just life gives me a lot less of those things, those situations that I really don't want to be in or that I'm conflicted about. Should I be here? Is this a good idea? You know, and I've gone to like because snowboarders party hard and I've gone to like snowboard events and just kind of been like like not even really noticing the stuff that the the negative and just noticing the positive you mm -hmm. know like and and seeing that like life is good life's really good and it, and it continues to get better in different ways and uh I just I think both you guys are super cool and I knew like that's why I was like I just like the way Pete talks you guys both talk like OG Seattleites oh thanks man you know yeah. and uh I was like yeah you guys like hell yeah we'd love to and you know like whether it makes it or not it's already made it in the fact that I listen to it for every single one of them on my little road trip somebody else is too I love listening to like stories about hope you know so like doing this i know i just went on a tangent but uh, we love your tangents I, but i i had to say something before we go because one of the things that drew me closer to you um was your relationship with curtis head and uh it's okay to name him because he'd love this yeah promotional likes, component yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but uh the other day um i was on it i was i was with him and uh he has this ability to like have you ever, have you ever seen him do the splits yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He does vertical splits. Yeah, yeah, too. vertical yeah. splits. Yeah, this guy's got vertical <laughs> split ability. And uh 
I don't know, man. It it's just uh, with him, it was it's it's these people that you know that I've known that that I don't know, man. It's it's just a special relationship that uh, I've built with you through other people because what's caused this is that I've gotten closer with Curtis because you're like, man, Pete, ask him about this. And then when I ask him about the wheels and the this, and he's just like, oh, yeah. And then he, and then the next thing you know, he's doing splits and yeah. and uh, having a good time. But I think one of the things that we want to highlight here is how, how uh, you know, how special you are to the Seattle community, man. Uh, sober community, uh, skate community, the community as a whole, and how you've really helped me and I think Rudy uh, just – just know that, like, I'm proud uh, to be sober and proud to be living a life of sobriety and 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 helping other people. And you've been a very pivotal part in like showing uh, me and others how to do that. And uh, I don't skate, but I take that that energy that you have, um, and I I put it other places to help others. And I think Rudy does the same thing. And one of the most exciting things that I've seen was the uh, advertisement for adult skating. <laughs> because, like, for me, that's something that, like, I have never tried before. And, like, I don't know. There's, like you said, who knows what can really happen. And, and I don't know. You're just a real good teacher, and I, w I would love to participate. What do you think, Rudy? Could we, could we get an adult skating session with... Marshall, yeah, it's never too late. I don't think. Okay, all right. I don't I think it's too yeah, late. All right, all right. But uh, now I just want to say too, Marshall, man, I appreciate you, and um, I'm gonna have to tell my dad that we did this. <laughs> He'll love to hear that. Um, but yeah, man, you're old. You're old, G Seattle. Yeah, so man, come we, on. We just appreciate you. We, hey, we were so excited from this from the get go of this idea. We thought we had you in that list of like, man, if we could get Marshall on here, that'd be. That'd be that'd make our whole uh, <laughs> podcast, and so I'm flattered. Yeah, man. Well, thank thank you for your time, and uh, man, sober champs is out. Uh, thanks a lot, Marshall.